Welcome to your upfront moment. We're building a confidence revolution. Hi friends, I'm Lauren Curry, the founder of Upfront. We're an organisation on a mission to change confidence for 1 million women and non-binary people by 2023. And we do this in three ways. We transform your relationship and habits around confidence, power and visibility through our six-week online course. Each cohort is called a bond. Bond is the collective noun for a group of women and over a thousand women have graduated from a bond from over 20 different countries. We build community, real, genuine, human community, where women learn how to stand up for themselves and each other. We hold each other to account. We celebrate each other and learn together. Our community is Global Bond. We create content that will inspire, challenge and motivate you to be upfront. We are here to change confidence, not women. Upfront Moment is designed to kick your week off with confidence, self-compassion and agency. Hi friend, welcome back. This week's Upfront Moment is all about teamwork, intentionally designing how we team together. This is a keynote that I delivered for the Swedish Institute and they asked me to put together a keynote that would help their community think really intentionally and deeply about how they are designing their teams and of course have lots of actions to put into place. The statistic I want to share with you is this, did you know that 58% of people trust a stranger more than their manager? That's why we're going to talk about all things teams, building them, leading them, and ultimately how to create high-performing teams. I hope you love it. You can talk to me on lauren at weareupfront.com and let me know the biggest challenge you're facing in your team and how this Upfront moment helped you. Take care. Bye. Welcome to today's session, Designing How You Team. So think about what you need to be present during this time. Put your phone on airplane mode, close your email tabs. To get the very most out of this time, I need your full attention. I want you to be an active participant and learner, so that means you're taking notes, you're writing down questions. Hopefully you'll follow up with me afterwards to tell me how you enjoyed the talk, what you took from it, what you're thinking about. So you're going to need a notebook and pen. And the flow of this session is we're going to talk about what makes a team high performing. We'll have some moments for reflection. We're going to talk about feedback and there will be further reflection. So the statistic that I want you to hold in mind as we move through this conversation is this, and this is from Harvard Business Review. And it tells us that 58% of people trust a stranger more than their manager. 
So what does make a team effective? Because that statistic would suggest that most teams are not performing in the best way they could. So I would love you to think about what makes a team effective. If you're on your own, write this down in your notebook. If you're together with colleagues, pause and have a conversation. What makes a team great? I want to introduce you to a project that was designed by Google to answer that question. Project Aristotle was set up by Google to help them understand what makes some teams fantastic and high performing and some teams not. They studied thousands and thousands of teams across the world and they came up with five top components, factors and high performing teams and I'm going to, we're going to talk through each one together now. Impact of work. For people to do good work they need to feel connected to the impact of their work. Do I fundamentally believe that deep down the work I do matters? Meaning of work. For us to do good work our work has to have meaning. Are we working on something that is personally important to me and to you? Structure and clarity. Are goals, roles and execution plans on my team clear? Is it clear to me where my responsibility ends and my co-workers begins? Is it clear to me what's expected of me to get a pay rise? Structure and clarity matters. Dependability. Can we genuinely count on each other to do high quality work on time? If my colleague says she's going to do something, can I depend on her to do it? This is vital if we want teams to be high performing. But the number one ingredient that trumps all others when it comes to building a high performing team is psychological safety. Do people on your team feel safe to take risks without feeling insecure or embarrassed? So this is the first question that I want to ask you. I want you to draw this line on your notebook with a number one at one end and a five at the other and put a mark on your line. How psychologically safe is your team? And things that will give you signals about how, how psychologically safe your team is, how often do you get feedback, especially negative or critical feedback? How often do people talk about mistakes and things that have not gone well? How often are people honest about their emotions, honest about needing help, honest about where they're at? So one would be the answers to those questions are very low. Five would be the answers to those questions are high and good and we have a high sense of safety in our team. So this is something that you can try later that is scientifically proven to increase the psychological safety of your team. Normalise vulnerability related to work. Show that it's okay to talk about emotions by sharing yours. 
Now this might look like admitting to your own mistakes or failures, framing these as learnings. It might look like asking for help. And it sounds like saying, I don't know. All of these things will help build a psychologically safe team. And I want to talk about the relationship between psychological safety and accountability. Because when safety is low and accountability is low, you have apathy. You have lack of engagement. When safety is high and there is some accountability, people are comfortable, which is not the area where growth will happen. When there is very high accountability, but low safety, people feel anxious. And the sweet spot, the area we're all shooting for, is this one, learning. High safety, high accountability. That is the learning zone. That is where you want to be and where you want all of your team members to be. So psychological safety is defined as a shared belief held by members of a team that the team is safe for interpersonal risk taking. The academic researcher behind this work is called Amy Edmondson and she has books and lots of brilliant content online if you're curious to learn more about this topic. And I wanna give you a tool, I wanna give you a strategy that you can implement tomorrow that will help build this culture in your team and it's called checking in. So we're going to learn how to check in together. Hi friend, I want to talk to you about our conference, Upfront and Centre. If you're wondering if it's for you, I want to say this to you. You've been criticising yourself for years and it hasn't worked as the motivational tool that you hoped it would. You're ready for growth with a lot more grace in the process. You're exhausted from being on a self-help and self-improvement treadmill. You want tools and strategies for your ongoing growth and journey that don't feel like hard work. And you need a burst of energy that can only come from being around people who are ready and excited to support you. Our promise to you is that Upfront and Centre will be no bullshit. We'll give a damn. We'll lead and create a space for vulnerability, even if it means getting a little uncomfortable. We'll keep it brave, kind and upfront. We have tickets for you if you're on maternity leave. We have tickets for you if you live in a low income household. And we want you to invite your leaders and your bosses to invest in you and sponsor your place at this conference. I can help you with all these things. So drop me an email, lauren at weareupfront.com. Go to Upfront and Centre to find out all about the conference the tickets, the schedule, the speakers, the dinner the night before, the party, the DJ. It's going to be amazing and I can't wait to meet you. Bye. So a check-in is when you pause at the start of a conversation and that might be a conversation you're having with one person, five people or 50 people but you take a moment to check in together as a group. It is a way to come together as humans with intention. So some of the questions you might ask before you do this is how much time do you have for the check-in? Does the question that you might ask invite 
a long story from each person? Do you want each person to share a word or a sentence or two? How might the check-in connect and support the rest of the agenda, what the meeting is for and the overall purpose of the gathering? What kind of tone do you want to create? Playful, serious, connecting? Or do you want to learn something new about each other? So the most standard check-in question I use with my team is what are you bringing with you into this meeting today? I'm bringing with me that my cat is at the vet so I'm feeling distracted and nervous. I'm bringing with me adrenaline for our board meeting tomorrow that I'm feeling really ready for. I'm bringing with me some sluggishness because I didn't have a great night's sleep last night. There is no right or wrong answer. It is a top of mind answer. Another question you might ask is what weather are you bringing with you today? Are you bringing sunshine, fog, rain, a thunderstorm? There are lots of different ways to do it and lots and lots of examples online. The reason that checking in is such a powerful tool for building a culture of confidence, for building psychological safety, is as a way to take a group of people's pulse. You're essentially giving the group a health check before you begin. It increased safety. We also know that by sharing something verbally, you're less likely to be distracted by it. So it's an opportunity to cognitively offload the thing that might be distracting you and therefore you're more likely to show up in that meeting in a more productive state. It allows you to anticipate miscommunications. So if the person who's just sent their cat to the vet isn't really on form, I know that that's why. And that is going to change my perception and understanding of that person's behaviour. And a really important one is it primes contribution. So science shows us that if we hear every single person in the room's voice before the meeting begins, we are more likely to hear everyone's voice as the meeting progresses. And that is particularly important for women and people who have been historically excluded, that data shows us are less likely to speak in group conversations. So priming contributions is really important. So in your current groups or the next time you're in a group or one at a time, I want you to do a check-in. One at a time, share what's stuck in your head. What are you bringing with you to the meeting? What your weather is that day? You choose. And then have a conversation about how that check-in went. How did it feel? It can feel a bit clunky and uncomfortable and a wee bit awkward at first, but I promise that once you build the habit and once you get into the swing of things, it will dramatically improve your meetings, your culture and your relationship with your teammates. So I would love you to think about what is your biggest challenge? when it comes to designing your team, your team ways of working, your team culture right now? What is your biggest team challenge? Is it about productivity? Is it about ways of working? Is it about feedback? Is it about performance? Take a moment, have a conversation or write it down in your notebook. A good company culture is your organisation's most compelling competitive advantage. Most of the clients we work with at The Bond 
spend most of their energy and efforts on their what. Like what is the product that we are designing? What is the output, the outcome that we are putting into the world? And sometimes we forget about the how, our culture. How are we going to work together? How are we going to give feedback? How will we celebrate? How will we ask for help? How will we support each other? And that is where your most compelling competitive advantage sits. So we're going to take a dive into feedback because giving and receiving feedback is a really vital piece of team productivity. So I guess my first question was, what's your reaction when I say the word feedback? I would love you to reflect on what did you think when you heard me say the word feedback? And how do you get feedback? How does it currently work in your team? Because you know how often a team gives and receives feedback is the number one indicator of team performance. Because feedback helps you get on the same page. It reduces frustration. 75% of people who were let go and lost their job did not have a feedback conversation with their boss first. So why is feedback so hard? Why do we have such a strong reaction to feedback? Well, it's because it's about working with our defences. You have to really reduce your own defences you have to hope your colleagues can do the same so that you can have a real conversation and that's really hard. So when it comes to giving feedback, it's important that you prepare. It's important that you know what outcome you want. Why are you giving this feedback? It's important that you choose a time and place. In a busy cafe is not the place. Last thing on a Friday night is not the time. And you want to get really specific. Specific examples are what makes feedback conversations work. And there's a few different ways that we can do this. The sandwich method. So the sandwich method is about sharing two things that are going really well and one thing that's not so well. I don't love this method because most people know that that's what you're trying to do. And so it can feel a bit awkward and uncomfortable. A method that I much prefer is something called a star and a wish. So what you're doing is saying, I really like this specific behaviour. So I really like when you challenge me and ask me questions when I give the team a new brief. Next time we are doing that in a new situation or context, next time we're doing that with a client, I wish you would do that same behaviour. So you're helping them see where you've seen that behaviour in a different context and what is the new behaviour you want to, what is the new context you want to see that behaviour in. Another one we use a lot up front is stop, start and continue. One thing I'd like you to stop doing, one thing I'd like you to start doing and one thing I'd like you to continue doing. And then it's about handling reactions. So one of the most common reactions to feedback is fake acceptance, which sounds like absolutely whatever you say. Yeah, sure. But this person has no intention to follow through on the feedback that you're giving them. 
So how you deal with this is you want to think about your past experiences with this person. Use lots of questions. Keep understanding if they understand why this is important and use multiple sources and examples from other areas. And you always want to follow up afterwards. Make sure this person knows that there will be a follow-up and when that follow-up will be. Another common response is denial. Was it me? And it sounds like, well, I didn't do that. And how to deal with this is to try really hard not to judge and evaluate, but get very specific on the feedback and provide evidence. You also want to let them have their say and listen, but focus on establishing what the facts are and differentiate between what actually happened and the consequences of what happened. You want to focus on the consequences of what happened rather than the who, what, where, why of actually what happened and focus on specifics. And the third most common response is rationalising. So that looks like, well, I had to. I had no other choice. I had to do it because X, Y, Z. And so how you deal with this is to show that you're willing to listen. You can use examples where rationalising is difficult or actually the responsibility is clear. And you have to be prepared to accept that this rationale is potentially valid and at the same time explain the importance of personal responsibility. And in this one, I would always ask the person, what would you do if this situation happened again? And that way you can measure how they've understood that even if their rationale was valid, they need to show up differently next time. So now it's your turn. In your notebooks or with your colleagues in conversation, I want you to think about who do you want to give feedback to? And what is the outcome that you want to achieve from that feedback conversation? Then I want you to make a plan. What's the right time? What will you ask? What reaction might they have? And how will you work with that reaction? Now let's think about getting feedback. When you're getting, how to get better feedback is to assume positive intent. So even if the person might not have positive intent, assuming it will make it easier for you to receive feedback. Depersonalize it. Make it about the work and the action, not about the identity of the person and always contextualize it. So you always want to ask for more detail. And so when it comes to getting feedback, I want to know what do you want to get feedback on? Who can you ask for feedback? Make a plan. What is the right time? When's the right time? What will you ask? And what might they say? How can you make this feedback conversation happen? So I'd love you to pause to reflect in your journal or in conversation about the ideas we've talked about today. The outcome of Project Aristotle, psychological safety, checking in and giving and receiving feedback. I would love to invite you to do one or all of these if you've enjoyed this session. Let me know how you get on with your feedback, whether it's giving it or receiving it. 
please talk about this session on LinkedIn. I think talking about this work on the internet is the fastest, most effective way to spread these ideas. And I want as many people as possible to know about these ideas. So please do that. You can add me on LinkedIn if you are excited about the idea of joining our next bond. Our next bond is bond number seven and it starts next June. Our doors are open, tickets are on sale. You can email me at lauren at weareupfront.com for more information and to have a conversation. And good luck designing your team. I can't wait to hear how you get on. Bye. Hi friends, have you got your ticket for Upfront and Centre yet? We are coming together on March the 11th in Scotland to celebrate all things grace. Our theme is activating grace in a world on fire. We are hosting a full day and night event with 300 of you in person. You can join us in person or digitally, conference in the day and a party at night. Upfront and Centre is your opportunity to meet like-minded people, to activate your confidence in a world that doesn't often prioritise your body, your rights and your story. We'll be gathering in one of the most unique and historical areas of Scotland, Bad in the Barras in Glasgow, a place full of art, colour and laughter and characters you will not find anywhere else. Go to upfrontandcentre.com to get your ticket and I'll see you on the dance floor. Bye.